Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Hi, this is Michael Kessel, counsel at Littler Mendelssohn in Newark, New Jersey. I'm here today with Littler shareholders Russ McKeown and Alan Modell. Russ and Alan serve as point persons for Littler's Positive Employee Relations Training Series. Russ, I, I read an article a few months back about the subject of employee engagement. Ever since, it seems like I'm seeing more and more client inquiries on this subject. Russ, why don't you explain what is employee engagement and why is this such a hot topic to employers today? Sure, Mike. Listen, you're so right. Everywhere you turn, you're seeing references to this term employee engagement and this concept of, of quote, engaging employees. And personally, I'm really glad that this is a hot topic because to me, the notion of employee engagement is really an, an umbrella term, and it means having employees who actually want to be at work, who are invested in their careers, and not just who are showing up to collect a paycheck. So getting to a point where you have employees who are engaged encompasses, I think, things that Alan and I would view as very sound labor and employee relations practices, the type of stuff that we counsel our clients on every day. As to why this is a hot topic now, um, you know, I've thought about this quite a bit, and I, I, I actually think there's three reasons why this is a hot topic. First, it addresses what I'm going to refer to as generational shifts in the workplace. And to say it very succinctly, millennials want more from their employers. Um, I, I read a statistic recently that about 75% of the global workforce is going to be comprised of millennials by the year 2025. I read another statistic that talked about the fact that the vast majority of millennials want more and expect more from the work experience. They're demanding a workplace that provides more personal satisfaction. And I think it's that constant demand that's motivating the business community to really appreciate this issue. Second reason, I think, is because we have a tight labor market right now. It's actually a good thing for this country, right? The economy seems to be moving right along, but it's difficult to attract and retain talent. And I think that employers are recognizing that they need to compete in order to do that. And one way to do that is to be known as that employer who treats its people well and, and, and who has employees who want to show up and do a good job every day instead of those who are just showing up to collect a check and punch the clock. I think the last reason why this engagement issue is, is so much in fashion these days is that it really pays dividends. I think employers read the same studies that we read that show that employees who feel engaged in their work are more productive, they are more loyal, and they're likely, uh, or less likely, I should say, to bring in unwanted third parties into the employment relationship, whether those third parties are lawyers, government agencies, or unions. So. This is really not news to us in the business of labor and employment law, but the business community seems to be very focused these days on the idea that, um, to put it bluntly, the more you give, the more you get from employees. That makes sense for us. I know you and Alan help companies with this kind of training, but who are, who are you educating? Where is this type of training best directed? in terms of levels or, or positions? Yeah, good question, Mike. Uh, I, I think that as with most issues of corporate culture, it really has to start at the top. It's gotta start in what they call the C-suite. Um, they've gotta be on board you know, and, and set the tone for the company, authorize the specific policies and practices needed to get and keep workers engaged, but they also have to be willing to invest the time and resources that are required to train those members of management who are gonna be face-to-face -face with employees 
day in and day out. So when, when we go in and talk to companies about this issue, we usually begin with educating the senior leadership team about the merits of engagement, and then we spend a lot of time um, in, in, a, in a variety of different ways working with line supervision because they are where the rubber hits the road, where good employment policies and practices either happen or don't happen. Great. Now, Alan, what forms of training do you feel is most impactful for frontline supervisors? Well, thank you, Michael, for participating here and asking me that question. I think you have to set your expectations properly when engaging in training, especially of your frontline supervisors. The initial challenge with frontline supervisors is finding a way to connect with them in a succinct fashion and hold their attention during training. I always counsel clients that once you get involved in a training, do not expect your supervisors to be labor relations or employee relations professionals just after one session. The goal of the session really should be to make sure that they understand the importance of proactively engaging employees on a going forward basis. So we like to provide them with some detail, some law, but we don't want to get them bogged down in those details because that may quell their ability or their willingness to engage. So when you look at the different types of trainings that are out there that we provide to clients, of course they start with some basic lecture type format where we discuss what our goals are, what the roles of supervisors are, and, and then some of the more details as to how to effectively communicate. But an initial step in all training of frontline supervisors, I believe, needs to be making sure that your supervisors understand what their role is in the company. As leaders, what are they supposed to do? I think most employers will agree that their frontline supervisors were good hourly workers who were promoted into the supervisory ranks, but they probably weren't provided with enough training as to what does it mean to be a supervisor. So I know that when I conduct training, and Russ does it as well, we like to spend time on the role of the supervisor, how supervisors are supposed to engage, and how they should be proactive in engagement. It's not always about just operations and hitting the numbers. It's about how do you work with your employees. So once we do some basic lecture format training, which of course has some role playing and some group exercises, we also like to focus on what are some of the causes of negative morale in a workplace. Once we identify some of those negative causes through group exercises, the realization comes in quite quickly that the failure to communicate, usually by frontline supervision, is the root cause of most employee morale issues. Of course, all employees want more money and better benefits, but in the end of the day, it comes down to how do they feel they're treated at their job. After we talk about the causes of negative morale, we also help give the tools and educate our supervisory ranks as to how do you spot those signs. And then once they spot those signs, how do you deal with them? So we like to spend a decent amount of time with our supervisors engaged in role plays. We wanna take them out of the comfort zone and put them into an area where they might have some confrontation in the workplace. How do you deal with a difficult question from an employee? It might be the same employee that complains a lot. It might be an employee who doesn't get along with a supervisor. So we role play with them. How do you address it? How do you start the conversation? How do you extend that conversation? And how do you effectively respond? We also perform group exercises as well as create simulations for those employers that want to go the extra step to make sure that their supervisors know how to deal with real life situations. Our immersion program is actually unique, I believe, and I haven't seen it performed by others to the same extent, where we develop fact patterns. Sometimes we engage with outside actors 
or as well as bring in props so that we can really create a real life situation that our supervisors need to deal with. Just a couple more points on this, Mike, because you might be thinking, how long do these trainings last? Well, it, that depends on the client. It depends on the type of business, depends upon how much time we're willing to take away from the operation. But training can be two hours to a half day or a multi-day workshop. And lastly, we believe that live training is usually much more effective than other training. However, if it's a budgetary issue or if it's a time commitment, we perform training via webinar and we also provide a lot of feedback to our clients about the attendees. That sounds like a really practical approach. Actually, this all sounds like a very low-hanging fruit. Why isn't every company doing more with employee engagement training? Well, that's a question I've been asking for probably about the past 20 years. And I think there are probably five main reasons behind it as I think it through. One of them is that employee engagement and related training is just not part of the company's culture. You may have some statements in a policy manual or in a core values list that identify employee engagement, but putting it in writing and in a policy is one thing, but actually walking the walk or talking the talk is another thing. So I think as Russ said, the first step is to get the C-suite buy-in so that it can be an important part of their culture. The second reason why I believe companies do not necessarily provide enough employee engagement is they view the training as an added expense and distraction from operations. However, as we all know, or once we, we will realize, the time and expense of training can really benefit a company and its operations many times over. It keeps employees engaged, it reduces turnover, et cetera. The third reason why I believe companies do not provide enough employee engagement is they may rely upon their local management team and think that everything is going perfectly well at the facility. The reality, however, is that oftentimes local management team may think as long as the operations seem fine and the numbers are good and we're hitting our targets and the corporate team believes that things are going well, the local management team may not look deeper into whether or not there are morale issues in the workplace. Unfortunately, only when a lawsuit is filed or an organizing drive by union is commenced does that oftentimes permit the employee discontent to eventually make its way up the uh, corporate ladder, so to speak. The fourth reason why I believe companies fail to provide enough employee engagement training is that at times they're concerned about uncovering a problem and then having to deal with it. Oftentimes it's easier just to say operations are going well, we don't hear many complaints from that location, it must be good, and we don't want to learn something because then we'll have to deal with it. The fifth reason and probably the last reason is that many times employers are afraid to mention the word union. Now, positive employee relations does not mean union. It doesn't. If you engage your employees properly, hopefully you'll never have to deal with a union or face an organizing drive. But the reality is that employees are aware of what unions are about. They're able to go on the internet and search about unions. And just because a company may decide to mention the word union, during a positive employee relations training, and that of course is up to the client whether or not they mention the word union, that is not gonna spur on organizing. Lack of employee engagement, lack of training, and lack of care of your employees, that's actually what's gonna spur on organizing, not the mention of a U word. You know, Mike, to, to make it easier for companies to get over the type of hurdles that Alan just described, 
Littler has this service solution. You know, we're a firm that, that likes to offer our client practical solutions to issues. And, and that service solution happens to be the Positive Employee Relations Series, which really runs the gamut from basic lecture on high-level principles to experiential training of the type that Al described that's designed specifically for our client's industry and their culture, and then it's delivered through role plays and simulations. I think one of the nicest compliments that I've ever gotten as a as a trainer was, um, or as a lawyer for that matter, was you don't talk like a lawyer. And I think it's very important to be able to relate to and connect with the audience in that way. And um, it's something that we, we we very much focus on when we build these training programs. Net-net, this is high-impact stuff that really has the potential and the tendency to change management behavior for the better. And, you know, what's better than that for someone who's looking for their employees to be engaged? That's great, Russ, and, and, and thank you guys for being here today. For more information, the listeners can feel free to go to littler.com and search for Positive Employee Relations for more information. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.